Trust me, I'm like a smart person. From The Conversation, this is Trust Me, I'm an Expert, a podcast where we ask the academic experts to surprise, delight and inform us with their research. I'm Sananda Cray. Hong Kong International Airport has cancelled all remaining flights for a second day in a row after anti-government protesters converged on terminals with some deliberately... Here in Hong Kong, which is reeling from some of the most dramatic scenes it has seen in years. In the past few hours, tens of thousands of protesters have faced off and clashed with police in the city's central business district. Unless you've been living under a rock you will know that something really interesting is underway in Hong Kong. After years of stop-start efforts, pro-democracy protests have gained incredible steam recently, with citizens pushing back against Beijing, often at huge personal risk to the protesters themselves. Graham Smith, a research fellow at the Coral Bell School of Asia-Pacific Affairs at the ANU, the Australian National University, is a China politics expert. And he's also the creator of the Little Red podcast, which is a really great podcast about China politics. You should definitely go and listen and subscribe, but after you've finished this episode of Trust Me. He recently sat down with The Conversation's Justin Bergman to talk about how the protests were playing out and what's likely to happen next. Here's Graham Smith in conversation with Justin Bergman. Hi, Graham. Uh, Welcome to uh, Trust Me. And thanks for joining us. I'm really excited to talk about the situation in Hong Kong at the moment. Um, I thought we'd start off by talking about your latest episode of the Little Red podcast. And uh, your co-host, Louisa Lim, was actually in Hong Kong recently talking to protesters on the streets. Um, How long was she there and, and what was she hearing from people she was talking to? Look, well, it's uh, it's actually teaching time now, so Louisa didn't have much time to spare, so she uh, literally went there for the weekend, um, which sounds crazy, but uh, that's when the protests kick off in Hong Kong. Uh, during the week, it tends to be a lot quieter, so um, going there for the weekend seemed a, a fairly uh, safe bet. Uh, our major expense, apart from the air ticket, was uh, getting her a gas mask, which uh, fortunately she didn't need, but um, you can never be uh, too careful. And what were people telling her? What did she hear uh, from the protesters themselves? Yeah, she went to quite a range of protests. So she went to protests, um, a teacher's protest, uh, which was a fairly small-scale one, um, and also a couple of uh, pro-government or pro-police protests um, to get some to get a range of views about what's going on in Hong Kong. Uh, and finally, of course, on the Sunday, we had the, the march uh, with 1.7 million people, um, despite, you know, absolutely torrential rain. And um, she was uh, she was there for that. Uh, but the core of the podcast is an interview with the political scientist Samson Yuan um, from Lingnan University in Hong Kong, and he's been surveying. Uh, he surveyed eight thousand protesters to basically see who they are, um, what their attitudes are, and um, whether there's any way that they can um, be persuaded to uh, stop going on on the streets in such huge numbers. Right. Well, if anybody wants to listen to this podcast, they can find the link in our uh, story here, which is, which is very handy. Um, so I just want to get your take on where things stand at the moment in Hong Kong. Um, we've seen a bit of a pause in the violence as of late. Uh, seems like both sides are taking a collective uh, catching of the breath. Um, did you do you expect this relative quiet and, and peace to last? And where do you see the, the protest movement going from here? Yeah, really no one knows. I mean, not even Samson Yuan, who's surveyed 8,000 protesters, um, has any idea what the end game is or where this is heading. 
Um, yeah, there's definitely been a lull, uh, well, not a lull of sorts, but certainly a, a more peaceful demonstration on the weekend after some of the violence at Hong Kong Airport um, the week before. And uh, But in terms of what will actually happen, no one really knows. The protests aren't going to stop, though, until Carrie Lam definitively withdraws the bill, uh, the extradition bill. Uh, and another thing that would help would probably be to uh, launch an inquiry into the police violence, which is a, a major motivator for people taking to the streets. Um, and I think the party in, in China has really underestimated this protest culture. I think they've been sold, as we all have for many years, that, that Hong Kong is a place that's all about business, it's all about making money, people don't really care about politics. Um, but the CCP should know from its own history, it had a really successful go at fomenting uh, protests in the 1960s. It's the same city-state, uh, and a city-state is uniquely vulnerable to, uh, to coming out en masse against an unpopular government. Yeah, and, and Carrie Lam has indicated this week that she's open to starting a dialogue with the protesters, but she hasn't agreed to meet most of their demands. Um, I think that's fair to say. Uh, what are the prospects for negotiations at this point? Um, I mean, have we gone past that point for, for many of the more, uh, the younger and more uh, radical uh, people in the movement? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Carrie Lane's been saying this for a long time, and she's just done nothing for the last eleven weeks. So, um, you know, this is the rhetoric, but no one's seen any reality, and and this is a lot of what's fueling people's annoyance is they just feel she's uh, she's sort of waiting for them to get sick of it and not addressing their actual concerns. Um, but look, as you note in the you know kind of in the question that she. Um, doesn't seem able or have the authority from Beijing to actually withdraw the bill. Uh, and there are all these awkward press conferences where people, journalists put to her, do you have the authority to do this? And she just looks at them and says, I've answered the question when, you know, she patently has not. Um, and she's also ruled out any inquiry into uh, the police violence. So, uh, you know, those are really the two major demands of the protest movement. Uh, and unless she meets those, it, it's hard to see, um, you know, some sort of awkward dialogue <laughs> with Carrie Lam having any effect. Yeah, yeah. And as you noted um, previously, the discontent goes far deeper than just these two issues. I mean, people there are upset about a range of things. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, there's there's definitely a range of things, and it's it's been building for uh, for some time. Uh, and I think the miscalculation they um, they made is that this would just be uh, the younguns going out, because previously in 2014 um, they had a pro democracy umbrella movement um, that you know saw quite large numbers on the streets as well. Um, but over time, uh, there was a real demographic split. So the young people were keen to keep pushing for democracy, um, whereas older, more comfortable residents um, were, uh, were were definitely against the protest um, by the end of it. And I think I think they kind of assumed that when the kids went back to school, um, you know, a similar pattern would emerge and this thing would just peter out. But uh, it, it's there's no sign of that happening. Yeah. So I mean, are you surprised by the continued momentum of the protests? Um, I mean, it's been more than two months now still having hundreds of thousands of people taking to the streets on the weekend. Um, you know, where, where do you think this, this longevity is coming from? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a few reasons for it. I mean, I, I was surprised by the, I guess, the size of the initial um, protests, that you know, 2 million people taking the streets. I mean, that's, you know, a quarter of Hong Kong's population. Um, I, I think it's unprecedented anywhere in the world to have such a, a large um, percentage of the population on the streets um, with one coherent demand. And I think that's kind of the longevity of it comes down to that because with the umbrella movement, um, it was pro-democracy 
But when you have something as nebulous as democracy, it inevitably comes down to, you know, there's splintering because some people want more, some people want less. Um, you know, when is it going to happen? What timetable? Under what circumstances? But with this one, it's just a simple issue. Withdraw this bill. Um, and that is a simple message that cuts across um, class divides, it cuts across demographics. Um, and, you know, no one wants to be tried in mainland China. It's, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, so uh, as long as there's that at the core, uh, if they're not willing to make that concession and fully withdraw the bill, um, then this longevity that we, that's surprising us all will, uh, will I think, continue. Uh, yeah, and that's interesting what you say about um, the, the past, the 2014 movement being so much more about uh, democracy this time around, um, wh why aren't you seeing that as more of a, uh, a call to arms uh, for these protesters? Are they still pushing for a more democratic government? Are they still pushing for universal suffrage? Or is that something they feel like they just can't achieve at this point? No, I mean, the, the, the part of the protesters' core five demands now include uh, demands for greater democracy. Um, but that's an expansion. The original demand was simply um, withdraw the bill and um, investigate the violence of the police. Now, the, the calls that have come out for democracy um, are certainly coming from the younger members of the movement, but it's a response to the um, Hong Kong government's complete failure to act and this realisation that um, it's unable to act, you know, because as long as you have a majority pro-Beijing legislature, um, they're not going to act in the interests of... Uh, the majority of the Hong Kong people who, whenever there is an election, um, overwhelmingly vote for uh, the Democratic parties. And because of the rigging of the electoral system whereby um, these functional constituencies um, hold sway and if Democrats are elected, there often ways are found to disqualify them from the legislature. So these demands have been uh, added on but as sort of a natural extension of the government's failure. And what's, what's Beijing's strategy at this point? Are, are they still... Um, biding their time and waiting to see if the protest movement will die out again, just like it did in 2014? Or um, are they expecting that they're going to have to do more this time? Yeah, I mean, I'm not Xi Jinping, um, for, for better or worse. Um, so I've got no idea what uh, what Beijing's strategy is. Uh, it does seem that that's been their playbook from, from the beginning. Um, and the, the bad news for them in Samson Yuan's surveys uh, is that a lot of the protesters, especially those in their 20s, um, feel they basically have nothing to lose and they're going to dig in for, uh, for the long haul. So unless some major concessions are made, this is, uh, you know, just biding their time is not going to work. Um, if you look at the rapid escalation of the rhetoric, which has kind of gone from holy hell, what do we do here, censorship, to calling it a riot, um, to lately saying, you know, it, it's showing signs of terrorism. This indicates there might be more forceful action somewhere on the table in Beijing. Um, but I, I really do worry when news organisations um, have these sort of infographics showing uh, here, is, here is the army in Shenzhen, here are the protesters in Hong Kong, will they invade uh, tonight? Um, I mean, a military intervention or even, even the People's Armed Police coming into Hong Kong, it's extremely unlikely. But news networks all from Australia to the US are talking about it as though it could happen. And this really normalises the idea and in some ways makes it more likely to happen. Um, so that means, you know, if Beijing does decide to blow its own foot off, they can turn around and say, well, look, you know, you guys have been talking about this for six months or a year. Um, yeah, look how restrained we've been. We waited until now. And yeah, I mean, those those images have been viral uh, online. Um, it, 
do you think that's that those images are having an impact on the protesters themselves? Are they are they looking at this and, and feeling worried? It doesn't it doesn't feel like that. Uh, no, it's it's definitely um, you know having an impact. Uh, certainly, the image of armored personnel carriers moving into uh, into Shenzhen um, do sort of disturb people. And and when you look at Samson's research, he's basically conveying the image or, or the impression that people are just living day to day. You know, they they do have this um, you know genuine concern that the uh, you know the PLA or the People's Armed Police will uh, will invade. So so yeah, they, they're having an effect inside Hong Kong, and they're also having an effect, um, you know, domestically within China to kind of sort of burnish Xi Jinping's hardline image. Yeah. And I guess another thing that Beijing has been good at with responding to these protests is is leveraging business interests against the protest movement. Um, so we saw that with the way that they reacted to Cathay Pacific um, and the employees who were um, taking part in the protests. And um, now you have the, the major tycoons in Hong Kong, the real estate moguls, who are coming out this week and making their own um, calls for the protests to end. Uh, do you think this strategy is, is uh, going to be successful? Does this, does this have an impact on the ground? Look, it has an impact, but it's it's pretty mixed. I mean, this has been the party's strategy all along in Hong Kong. Um, as part of its United Front strategy, it tries to um, co-opt or silence, and it's it's really been very active in trying to co-opt the richest um, people in Hong Kong and the business community in Hong Kong. Um, but even a guy like Li Ka Xing, the uh, the the biggest or sort of the richest uh, man in Hong Kong, even his messaging is very ambiguous, uh, and he was a bit like this in the um, Umbrella Movement too, sort of a bit of a nod and a wink to the protests to more or less say, look, they're legitimate. Um, but, you know, can the violence stop? He's not actually saying, you know, go back, uh, go back into your boxes. And the thing with recruiting these incredibly rich people to sort of spout their message um, is that there are these social and economic forces in the background for the protesters, um, particularly the people in their 20s who've been locked out of the housing market. I mean, housing there is even more unaffordable than Sydney. It is the most unaffordable housing in the world. Um, and the government's reaction has been to offer support for uh, you know, paying your electricity bills and, as you said, put pressure on these companies. Um, but you know, it's, as Samson Yuan memorably says in our episode, um, it's as though you have a, an itch in your left leg and you are... Uh, you scratch your right leg, uh, you know, you know it's not going to work, but you sort of have to be seen to be doing something. Uh, and wh- what do you make of the recent online trolling that we've seen coming from people in the mainland uh, who are opposed to the protest movement, um, some of it coming toward even uh, Chinese Australians, people living here, um, some of it's been abusive, uh, some of it's been quite ugly, to be frank. Uh, what, what do you think is driving this, this intense nationalism online, um, especially at this point. I mean, it's been two months now. Why is it just coming now? And do you feel that some element of this is is state-sanctioned or state-coordinated? Yeah, I mean, this kind of nationalism has been around for a a long, long time. Um, And I guess it's – I mean, there's no shortage of nationalistic keyboard warriors in China, you know, your 4chan sort of uh, incel-type guys. Um, and, and some of it is, I think, genuine nationalistic feeling. Um, some of it is genuine resentment against these rich kids in Hong Kong, you know, like you think you've got it bad, you should see what my life's like in China. Um, you know, it's it's also been fueled. So it's state-supported to the extent that it's been fueled by six decades of patriotic, patriotic education uh, that we've had since 1991. 
Uh, and certainly the actions of Twitter and Facebook um, show that it is state sanctioned and state coordinated. Um, and as you said, it's, it's spread to Australia. So, um, you know, there's, there's been these very ugly scenes of people chanting traitor, you know, Han Jian, Han Jian. Um, on the street, um, Hong Kong student leaders actually being denounced by name using this, you know, da dao down with formula that is absolutely reminiscent of the Cultural Revolution. Now, that's that's sort of the playbook that they've drawn on. Uh, and some of the chants, frankly, aren't, aren't uh, fit for repeating on, on the conversation, unfortunately. Um, what's really disturbing to me is when this online stuff moves offline. So uh, recently, a friend of mine um, who's a journalist in Hong Kong um, was attacked uh, on the street. And she was simply photographing a Lenin wall. She wasn't doing anything, you know, out of the ordinary. Um, and she was set upon and no one uh, moved to help her. So I guess that's the concern is when you have this doxing and when you have people specifically being targeted because they're journalists. I think that that's really um, crossing a line and something we should all be, um, you know, on the lookout for. And if there's any sign in our universities that people are doing that, then they should be on the first plane home. Well, and, and also this past week, Twitter and Facebook have found evidence of state-backed efforts to sow discord um, on those platforms. Uh, you know, what do you feel that this is a relatively new phenomenon in the use of Twitter and Facebook, given that these platforms are actually blocked in China? Um, and what what is the intention here? Is it to to uh, to spread messages overseas primarily? Uh, who, who's the audience for for this type of uh, misinformation? Yeah, I mean, Twitter is is, is interesting because, uh, and, you know, it's not really a platform um, that's sort of been taken up with gusto by Chinese within China because it's blocked. Um, but even abroad, you know, people tend to prefer WeChat um, or WhatsApp or groups like this. It's it's not really one that's been taken up by um, by the Chinese diaspora. Uh, it's not new. I mean, there have been trolls on Twitter for quite some time. Um, they've targeted me and, and certainly a lot of my journalist um, friends. Uh, it's, I mean, it's it's not new also for Twitter to crack down on this. What is new is, is they're being so public and open about it. I mean, they've closed all manner of Iranian accounts and Saudi Arabia fake accounts. And they're doing it not because they care about democracy, although that's what they tell the world. They're doing it because it's bad for their business model. Um, it's bad to have these coordinated and fake accounts um, deteriorate or sort of detracting from your user experience when you go onto Twitter um, or you go onto Facebook. But they're nowhere near the Russians yet. It's pretty sloppy stuff. Um, if you trawl through um, the sort of cash that Twitter's uh, released, there are examples of, say, uh, Twitter accounts that they've purchased. And so you can see this account starting off in English and then suddenly it's um, speaking Portuguese and supporting Bolsonaro in the Brazilian elections. And now it's speaking Chinese and, and, and denouncing the, uh, the people in Hong Kong. Um, so they're not sophisticated as yet. Uh, Twitter, they probably don't care that much about. And certainly Twitter doesn't care that much about China, as evidenced by, um, by Jack Dorsey meeting with the Dalai Lama. If he cared about them, he certainly wouldn't do that. Uh, no chance of, uh, of Facebook's uh, chief doing that anytime soon, because they get 10% of their ad revenue from China, even though it's blocked there. Um, so that's why you've seen a stronger reaction from uh, Twitter than you have from Facebook, because Facebook, um, you know, they still see the dollars in China, whereas Twitter's, I think, kind of given up on it. And, and you know, just lastly, uh, just to wrap up, I, I wanted to kind of get your sense on the long-term impact of this protest movement on Hong Kong. Um, you know, the, 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 let's say the protests are, are contained in some way. Where does the city go from here? And does Beijing 
have any credibility left with the people in Hong Kong, um, or is this is this situation just bound to come up again and again and again? Oh, it's, they have some credibility, um, and, and what's interesting from Samson's surveys is that um, they're not their top demand is not to get rid of the Hong Kong administration. They just simply want the Hong Kong administration to recognise their demands, to get rid of this bill. Um, to investigate the police and what they've been doing. Um, so I, I don't think we, we're quite at that point, but every day that goes by and every day where it becomes clearer that uh, the administration is, is, is basically a, an embarrassing and, and kind of incompetent puppet of, uh, of Beijing, then their stock's lower. And the thing they'll be looking at is uh, this Hong Kong identity that really seems to be on the rise. So when they took over... Um, more people or a good number of people saw themselves as Chinese first and Hong Kongers second. Um, now, far and away, Hong Kongers see themselves as Hong Kongers and, uh, you know, of Chinese ethnicity, but that those numbers have shifted over time uh, and they're not good, good news for Beijing. Trust Me, I'm an Expert is a podcast from The Conversation. I'm Sananda Cray. Special thanks to my colleague Justin Bergman for bringing us today's episode and to Graham Smith for making time to chat to us. And if you haven't subscribed to and reviewed our podcast, Trust Me, I'm an Expert, I would love it if you could do that right now. It really helps. Our theme beats are by Uncle Ho from Elephant Tracks. You can see a full list of credits and sign up for The Conversation's daily newsletter on our website at theconversation.com.